Welcome to Homeschool Mama Self-Care. I'm Teresa Wiedrich at CapturingTheCharmLife.com. I'm here to help you turn your homeschool challenges into your homeschool charms. If you are a homeschool mama looking for a strategy or a few for your self-care, then this is the podcast for you. I get to introduce you to Judy Arnell. She is a certified brain and child development specialist and a master of non-punitive parenting and education practices. She is the founder of Unschooling Canada Association and is the best-selling author of five print books translated into five languages, including Discipline Without Distress and Parenting with Patience. She has also compiled a handy tips book titled Attachment Parenting Tips, Raising Toddlers to Teens. Her latest book, Unschooling to University, Relationships Matter Most in a World Crammed with Content, is becoming a bestseller in an age of parents seeking educational options. She is the parent of five self-directed educated children, of which three have already graduated university and one is entering a master's program. She can be reached at www.professionalparenting.ca. Welcome, Judy. It's a real pleasure to have you here today. Oh, I mean, great. There's so many really excellent resources that you have for parents, and especially with the explosion of curiosity around homeschooling right now, mm-hmm. I think your books really are needed. Parenting with Patience. Wow. That's a book, <laughs> really, I probably needed 14 years ago, but I'm imagining that you have had a little practice yourself with five kids. Well, I, my first book was actually discipline and cause I was very passionate about, um, not spanking my kids. And then I got more and more into parenting and parenting theory. And then I decided I'm just going to ditch all the punishments. I'm not going to do consequences. I'm not going to do timeouts. And, um, I raised five teenagers without any punishments. So I put that book together, although my oldest was about 13 when Discipline Without Distress came out, but then parents loved it. It became a worldwide bestseller. And then they said, but how do I handle my anger before I get to non-punitive parenting? So I thought, okay, there's another book. (laughs) So, and I'd been doing groups for, for years. So I asked parents, what do you, what do you do? What do you do to calm down before you even address the whole situation with your kids. And so I got lots of tips from parents. I got tips that, um, and I wanted that one to be a really small book that parents could read in one sitting or read over a night or two and just get that part. So, so yeah, that's, um, it's probably my favorite book now is Parenting with Patience, just because it carries it all. It talks about temperament, talks about personality, talks about what kids are capable at it different ages and then I use it as my my worksheets <laughs> when I'm speaking instead of handing out handouts I hand out a book <laughs> very effective I think um well first I just want to you have a lot of things that you just said that I love to go down these rabbit trails but would you introduce your family or let us know a little bit about your family and how you got into homeschooling okay so I have um four boys and a princess. She's in the middle. (laughs) And uh, my two oldest boys were in grade ones and grade two. And uh, for two years, they did not like school. I had to drag them out of the house every day and 
drag them out back at lunch. And I, I love teachers. I think teachers are working so hard, but um, the system did not work for my kids. Um, one had a learning disability. The other one was super smart and bored. So a lot of our schools are closing down. And I just said to my husband, I said, okay, I'm going to homeschool for a year. I'm sure I can do just as good as what they do. And we did. We, we homeschooled and we did school at home. So we <laughs> took the classroom and put it at home. And, you know, after a month, that doesn't work anymore because the kids stop listening. They're not engaged with workbooks. So they're boring. And then more and more, I thought, okay, I'm a non-punitive parent. I'm not going to say, oh, no TV unless you do your math worksheets. That's not going to work for me. So then uh, we just played. We played and the kids kept on learning. And for the next 10 years, we played. Then when they got to about high school age, I said, uh, you guys want to do a little more formal programs? Do you want to get marks and credits for high school? And they said, you, what, what's involved? <laughs> and then at that point, I said, well, you're going to have to follow a little more closely to the um, government curriculum. And they said, yeah, okay. So they did, um, they did whatever course they needed. If they needed a course, they took a course or did more self-directed. If they didn't, they knew, for example, one of my kids is very good with languages and she didn't need a course. She could have taught a course. So, so they finished high school and then, um, went on to universities and, um, and then as their friends, they're what we call unschooling, their friends also started going to post-secondaries too. And I thought, if I can count 30 kids on my fingers that can go to post-secondary after playing all day during most of school, I need to write a book. So I wrote the book and we followed the 30 kids and 22 have graduated colleges, universities, um, the rest are kind of working at it or have gone to other things. So, yeah, so that was how we got into homeschooling. Yeah, that discussion right there would be so useful to tell the entire world right now that's considering homeschooling, or at mm -hmm. least is considering how do they go into education or how do they, how do they decide to go into homeschooling without fear and panic? Because everybody's trying to bring school home right now and they mm -hmm. all feel incapable, which is understandable because I've said it too so many times, just don't bring school home. Easy mm -hmm. to say for us because we've got some experience. We have been de-schooling, I guess, for so long that we even find, I find that challenging still 15 years later to not think like school at home. And for all of these folks that are considering that homeschooling, I wish we could just like burst that balloon and just say, it's okay. Your kids are going to be just fine. Just have fun. Like you're saying, what, what would be advice that you would give a lot of those people? And it's easy for me to give advice because now I have the benefit of hindsight, right? <laughs> I had my doubts too. When we, um, when the kids are playing and their cousins would be, doing math worksheets, I'd be feeling, oh boy, am I really doing my kids wrong by not making sure they know this stuff? And every unschooler, every homeschooling parent has worries. 
And I think the worry comes from a place where we are ingrained that either us or teachers ha are responsible for our children's education. And if they mess up, it reflects on us as it would reflect on teachers as we, you know, put that on teachers. And even for teachers and homeschooling parents, we all have to remember that every child's responsible for their own education. They own it. Um, you know, they get to an age where they start tuning out or dropping out or acting out because it's not meeting their needs, but it doesn't mean they can't learn. And we have to get out of their way, let them learn what they want to learn, and they will just soar ahead. So part of the self-care too is telling ourselves our kids are going to learn with or without us, with or without direct teaching they are going to learn. You can't force a child to learn and you can't stop a child from learning. Amen, so, sister. <laughs> <laughs> so much is in their hands. It's yeah. not on us. Yeah, that right there, a perspective shift really does change how we think about our children's education. And when we do that, we feel a so much more freedom and just like you were saying, I mean, mm -hmm. I've used this word and I don't know if it's perceived the way that I want to relay it, but that we come into this world as learning animals and it's intrinsic, but somehow we transfer that notion of an education has to be what somebody else has prescribed and it has to come mm -hmm. in the form of a te teacher, a lecture, a school system, you know, tests, grades, all of that stuff. And it might have its place. It might have a reason for a specific child, but what is an education anyways? What's the point of the education? Is it for a system? Is it for, I don't know, post-secondary school? So, because sometimes it is, but sometimes it isn't. And so do we get a post-secondary education so that we can have a great job, be successful, be a professional, so that we can buy a house with a two-car garage and and take vacations once a year and then retire to Arizona for six months in, you know, winter so we can golf and then die. And I, <laughs> dramatic, yes. But I kind of wonder what's the point? Like, what is the point behind creating this sweeping education notion that comes in one box? Actually, mm -hmm. you and I are in different provinces in Canada. So interesting. You're in Alberta, where I grew up, and I'm in British Columbia. And even the way um, homeschools are organized, or the way the school system is organized is very different. There's different values in even the, you know, um, jurisdictions, and certainly in the provinces. And as different provinces, we value different curriculum. So then can't we say that maybe we should build an education on a child, instead of a sweeping plan to create an education, a generic education for everyone. We want to go specific for those kids. And when we do, like you said, we really do have such a sense of perspective shift and freedom mm -hmm. for our own self-care. Mm -hmm. I think we're seeing that more and more though. I think the value of self-directed education where people are passionate about what they do, we're seeing it at the post-secondary level where, um, Children can do four-year self-directed degrees in a topic that they're really passionate about. Um, we're seeing it in certain um, semesters. For example, my son went into engineering in BC, and um, his last semester was a self-directed project of whatever he wanted to do. So he had been 
having trouble getting um, accommodations near the university. And um, he invented an app where students could um, rate their landlords and landlords could rate the students. And he thought this is needed. <laughs> and he got, he had passion about it because it came from a place of what he absolutely wanted to do. It was his agenda. It wasn't a professor's agenda. It was something he wanted and, and wanted to explore. So I think we're seeing more and more of that. Um, I hope for example, in one of our provinces in the K-12 system, um, they do not have approved list of resources anymore. Teachers can bring in anything they want that, within boundaries, of course, and appropriateness, but they can bring in anything they want that they think would, would teach to the outcome. So we're, we're seeing a lot more openness in the education system, yet um, there still is a very big emphasis on core courses. Um, and I, I hate that word core courses because arts and drama and, and music and um, technology, those are all wonderful passions too that should be core courses as well. Right. Um, so, so we're, we're seeing bits of that coming through on that education must be more personalized to be relevant and homeschoolers are just trailblazing that. So I want to back up a bit and ask you uh, your discussion about anger and the, the book practicing, sorry, parenting with patience that I'm going to guess was based in personal experience as well. <laughs> well, of course, <laughs> I mean, uh, every healthy relationship, um, people get angry. It's a natural emotion and every families have, ways of dealing with anger in their families. It's, um, it's a family narrative. So, and of course, when children are young, um, they do things that make us angry. For example, one of my toddlers um, wanted to explore the fridge. So he'd open the fridge door and he'd find the egg carton and he'd take the eggs and drop them from his little three feet height. To him, that was science. That was so much fun. It was watching to see what would happen. And I walk into the room, and to me, that's not science. <laughs> well, it is later, but in the moment, it's like, ah! <laughs> I'm, I was so angry because I had a company coming over, and now he's created a mess. So, so during the young years, I did. I'm, I'm not a perfect parent. I yelled way too much. I tried not to do any punishments, but I did yell. And thank goodness, when I talked to my kids when they were teenagers, I said, do you remember all the years I yelled at you? And they said, no, we don't. And I'm like, yes, <laughs> they don't remember. And I think it's Mother Nature's way of just, you know, compensating for, for our lack of executive function and self-control when we have little ones that do things that they do they naturally do but it just doesn't fit for us so yes it is born from experience yeah I agree by the way and um, I think my children would remember so <laughs> my kids are younger but I'm you know I was amazed just flipping through your book parenting with patience which I um, I was reading a little section in the very bit of the introduction where you were sharing about a moment where you had a real frustration 
And when mm. I read that, I identify that's me. That that has been my experience. And more than anything, I think it is unrealistic expectations of myself or my kids. Yeah. Was that the chip scenario? Potato chips? <laughs> no, but that sounds like a good reason to get angry. <laughs> Did someone take my potato chips? <laughs> no, that was a well, you were talking about everybody no it was a printer the computer printer oh yes yes yeah. yes yes. i um i used the chip one day my four-year-old son wanted to eat chips before dinner and i said no we're having dinner in 10 minutes so he takes a bag of chips up to his room opens them throws them all over the carpet and starts stomping the chips into the carpet and i use that as an example through the whole book to demonstrate calm down techniques, sibling fighting, problem solving. And uh, it's kind of funny because I, now he doesn't really, he still remembers the chips, but (laughs) we laugh about it now. But it was a good example of deliberate disobedience because a lot of parents are okay knowing that their kids don't know better and they do things like the egg example, right? But when kids deliberately take a bag of chips and defy you, and go make a mess. For many parents, that sets them over the top, over the top. So I thought that's a good example of how to handle that non-punitive parenting. Yeah, you have (laughs) an entire book on how to deal with anger. In my self-care book, I've got one section on anger, one tiny (laughs) one. I would seriously recommend this book to anybody that's going into homeschooling or Anybody actually that hasn't got this fully grappled with, which is probably (laughs) most of us. (laughs) You've got so many different um, self-care or I should say parenting strategies to engage kids when you're angry. Mm -hmm. And of course, that has to do with how you manage anger or how you engage it within yourself. So just as maybe a snapshot or the first few things that come to your mind, what would you share with homeschool moms in how they need to view their feelings of anger in those scenarios, whether it's potato chips or they don't want to do a math worksheet or they're, you know, whatever sorts of scenarios that come up in a homeschooling scenario, which is many. Yeah. I've had this conversation with a lot of homeschool moms and moms that send their kids to school too. Um, But anger, teaching kids how to learn to handle anger is a life skill. And um, we teach kids how to do math, but when we teach them how to handle anger, there's so much emotion involved. And yet those are the kids, when they know strategies for handling their anger, they're modeling them. Um, They do well because they have more friends, they can um, do better in jobs, in career situations because it's all about executive function and self-control and kids who have self-control delayed gratification tend to be more successful so it's a big part of teaching Um, schools say oh we teach the whole child well we do at home too and handling anger is parenting but it's also part of education it's also part of um we call it cross-curricular um, outcomes is how to work with a team, how to handle your anger, how to um, problem solve, how to research. Those are all non-core subjects that 
parents need to do. And I encourage parents to have two lists in their home. You have a list of um, things we're not going to do when we're angry. So that's the no list. And then you have the yes list, things we are going to do and it's okay to do when we're angry. And they vary. Every parent, every family has different things on the yes list or no list. For example, on our list, on our yes list, we're okay with swearing. Now, some families might not be, and that's fine for them. But for us, if you stub your toe and you're mad or hurt, you can swear. (laughs) Because I do. (laughs) (laughs) Um, On our no list is hurting other people and wrecking things. That is never allowed. And we teach that from a young age, which means we have to model it too. And that's the hard part. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, handling anger is a family event. It's a, it's a family um, thing to do and you get better at it and you're, it gets less and less as kids get older and more reasonable. Let's put it that way. As, as teens get negotiable and everything's negotiable you really do um have less instances of anger in the family for myself it took me a long time to accept that anger is a normal human emotion it's not a bad emotion it's Mm. uncomfortable it doesn't feel great but i liked actually how you wrote about it that it is um a sign i think i'm saying this i'm trying to re Capsulate it, but it is a sign that something needs to shift, or it's mm-hmm. it's something that you need to do. It's a signpost that you have to do something. Yeah, it's a signal. Yeah, to for change, right? So, um, anger means that something's not working um, in the relationship, in the family dynamics, in the home. It's time to either uh, and. I talk about it in the book. Basically, everybody has three choices. You either um, fight, flight, or submit. And um, so, for example, if your child's doing something, you can choose to leave the room, right? Or you can choose to stay there and make yourself ignore it. And the third one is you can um, negotiate. So you can say, okay, this isn't working. Uh, do you think you could do that somewhere else so I can concentrate here kind of thing. So, and every situation you have three options. That's what we've always taught our kids. You change yourself, you remove yourself or you negotiate to change the other person. Mm, Yeah. You know, you must've had a few unexpected challenges along the way in your homeschool world, besides learning like me that, wow, I'm not patient. I actually had a lot of people that would say, oh, I can't homeschool. I'm not patient. And I'm like, oh, is that, <laughs> is that a prerequisite? <laughs> I'm still not there. My instinct is not patience. It's more understanding, trying to understand. Yeah. But what would you say are some unexpected challenges for you along the way? Uh, one of the challenges was, and I totally agree with that patience thing. I mean, we Everybody has different levels of patience because we have different levels of executive function in our prefrontal cortex. So um, what would set off one person wouldn't set off another person. And same with partners too, different levels of patience. And 
if you're with a partner and one person has more patience than you do, that's good. You can, you can tag team with each other too, right? Um, but definitely you don't need patience. You just, one unexpected thing I discovered was that when we slid into unschooling and I started to get my doubts, you know, as we do at some points in time. Um, now I'm a real type A person. I'm a control freak. I, if my kids could sit down, do workbooks for half an hour, be done for the day, that is what I would love because then I could check it off my little control freak checklist. <laughs> and unschooling is not like that. <laughs> so I had to really back off and let my kids direct their own learning and channel my controlness into my work. So in um, teaching child development, I, I had really good lectures. I had really good um, visuals. I had all my handouts. I had my activities all planned out. I'm a great adult teacher. <laughs> and even then, um, we're supposed to be more learner-centered in adult education. So I had plans, but then I have to let go of those plans and let adults direct where they want to go. And I just follow along and facilitate when they want me. So I had to apply that to homeschooling is mm -hmm. facilitate when my kids wanted me. I do the same Art. thing. I, you know, I talk about unschooling. I talk about self-directed learning. Um, and I even, I'm trying to be a little bit more congruent in how I'm thinking about things. I had a radical six months of, you know, like radical unschooling experience. And then I still slide back in to, um, I don't know, schooly stuff. And I have to tell myself the same thing, plan and plan and plan, but then follow, follow, follow. Mm -hmm. follow your child not mm -hmm. my plan yeah and at the it's end a, of yeah it's almost better to have a very loose plan <laughs> absolutely and that's what I do I actually um I think it's for my own mental you know quiet space that at the beginning of the year I'm doing something intentional towards my kids education and so mm -hmm. you know like creating unit studies I don't go I'm not a I'm not a detailed planner day-to-day -day kind of planner at all I was but my goodness that's a good you know path for burnout for sure but I would have these ideas I get these books I have been exposed to so much different kind of curriculum so I know how to go off you know the top of my head but what I've learned is just if they are into something and they're really passionate about something just give them that space what I do is I write everything they actually do down to satisfy that same thing, type A personality that wants to know they have an education. So I write everything down in a day timer and I'm right now writing everything that they've done for the last year into a portfolio. And I realize they are amazing. You don't have to say, let's do science. They're already um, doing research on tropical fish and which ones will produce less algae and which ones will eat the algae and how, the, you know, the right temperature for the aquarium. And they go down that rabbit trail and, 
you know, last year I bought my son, 11 year old, a book focused on um, physics by Rebecca Keller. And it's a great book. It's very engageable. He was interested in the beginning of the year and doing experiments and he kind of faded out. And I thought, gee, but we didn't finish that that book we got to finish that book <laughs> you know <laughs> even, even school teachers don't finish the book but I think homeschoolers do a better job of finishing books um but then by the end of the year I'm like yeah but he's not doing science I am still there and yet I realize in his spare time he's doing everything related to um you know gravitrax and legos and building and he's building this whole aquarium thing and researching constantly about tropical fish so if i'd let go of my expectations my schooly expectations expectations and just say actually he's still learning then mm -hmm. i would give myself some self-care in the midst. yes yes absolutely and letting go again of that finishing thing that's I had so much trouble with that is that if, if we bought something, we have to finish it and the kids are gung ho at first and then lose interest. And I have to, that was very difficult is letting go and moving on to something else or, or not moving on to something else <laughs> like video games or, <laughs> but yes, we really do have to shift our mind to be more learner centered. And, and I don't know how teachers do it, that they, maybe because they teach every year the same things, they're, they're okay with letting go a lot more than us. And we, we have a more vested interest in our children. I mean, we worry about, oh, if they don't have an education. Um, one thing I do encourage parents to do is, it's super easy, just take pictures. Um, I took a lot of pictures when my kids would do something. And that was even before digital cameras, I even got them all. <laughs> <laughs> printed <laughs> and and then you have you're going to keep them anyways you have a lasting record and then you can just go over the year and think oh yeah they did this they learned this right it's 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 a nice reminder but if you like to work with print that's okay too so tell me when we're talking about unexpected challenges over the years were there some things that you became more aware of yourself over the years um, you know, your own needs or becoming your own person or a separate person outside of homeschool mom? Did you come to an awareness of different needs that you had? I think I always had those needs. I remember the first time I had a baby, I always loved to read the newspaper in the morning. And then I had a baby <laughs> and he was a high need baby. And then I thought, darn it, I'm going to, if there's one thing I'm going to do every day, I'm going to read the paper. And I did. Some days it took me all day to get through the newspaper, but I did it. And I was like, yay, I did it. I read the newspaper and kept up on the news. And so, and I've always made sure to show my kids that I was doing self-care. I would go out with the girlfriends at night and um, leave them and their dad with dinner and bedtime. Um, I wouldn't prepare anything ahead because I figure I need a night out. I need a night off. So, and I make sure my kids see that mom has needs too, and they're just as valid. If, if we don't make space for us, for our interests, for our time, no one's going to hand it to us. We have to carve it out. Um, so one night a week would be my night out one night a week would be partner's night out 
And actually I talk about this in parenting with patients too is, and one night a week would be date night. And um, when you have five little kids, some date nights, we just went out in the car with our pillows and had a nap <laughs> and left the kids with the babysitter. But, uh, but we do, we, we have needs and we, um, yeah. And a lot of, some of those needs too was sharing the responsibilities around the house. So um, I, unlike a lot of unschoolers, I insisted that my kids needed to help out around the house and do chores and they could pick whatever they wanted to do. Every Sunday morning, I'd lay out the chore cards and they were these laminated cards of different things that needed to be done. And whoever came to the table first got the choicey things. Whoever came last got cleaning the toilets. <laughs> so, and it's also being aware of, I mean, kids at age 10 can do their own laundry. A child at age 12 can do pretty well everything an adult can do. And each, you know, ch children as young as two can do chores, very simple ones. But every year, giving them an extra added thing to do so that it teaches them life skills, it makes them feel capable, it makes them feel part of the family, and they learn how to do things that they don't have to look up on YouTube later. Mm -hmm. Yep. And same with cooking. If we can give them freedom to cook, then we don't have to cook so often. <laughs> yes. And in Alberta, you get credit for it at high school. Yay. <laughs> I really love your self-care or your date night plan to go out into the car with um, pillows because, you know, in the lockdown in the last number of months, people would say, what do you do? on your own. And I'm like, I don't know, park in front of a Starbucks, bring your own coffee and like tune into the Spotify <laughs> coffee house music. I don't know. I'm not sure what to do. So that's a great date night idea. Yes. Very good date night idea. <laughs> and to keep space separate for you and your partner and for you two together to make sure you have time away from the kids. So important. We do. And along the date night idea too, is that every month on our ch children's birth date that would be our little date with just that child we get a sitter for the rest and then that child could decide anything they want to do that day with their parents we do and and that really worked too ex except when they got to teen years they didn't want us to call it date night <laughs> <laughs> yeah same thing with circle time I can't call it circle time in the morning <laughs> Or quiet time in the afternoon. Yes. <laughs> Literary hour in the morning. I don't know. Mostly nobody wants to get together and hang out. <laughs> oh, I like that. What would you say are the common myths around homeschool self-care, homeschool mom self-care? Well, when parents say to you, oh, I could never homeschool, you must be a saint. <laughs> I hear that so many times and I although I don't feel like a saint, I, th I think the implication of that is you must give all of yourself to your children in your homeschool. And I'm like, oh, please. <laughs> we don't. We don't. That's not what it's like. Um, maybe a few people do, but for the most part, um, I know homeschool moms where we got together for weekends. We got together for um, knitting groups. We got mom's night out and with a lot of wine and we took a lot of self-care and I think we're really good at it 
otherwise we would burn out just like parents do if parents don't take self-care they burn out and especially that's a myth with attachment parenting is that oh they're all about the child and that's not true it's um parents soon learn that they do need to think of themselves first and then they're a better parent if they fill up their buckets first and I find that um, unlike the general public's notion that my kids, especially as they become teenagers, they're like inappropriately with their parents all the time. That's what the culture believes. But reality is they don't want to be with us all the time. They want to be separate. And the more connected they are to us, the more they can go out into the world and be separate. Um, and then you do have more space. But I, I certainly did learn in the early years that boundaries were required. And sometimes those parents that had kids in school were lucky because at the end of the day, they'd pick up their kids and they would excitedly look at their children and go, oh, I'm so glad to be with you again. Whereas mm -hmm. when you're doing everything for your kids all the time, you can get to the place of, oh boy, here we go again in the morning instead of, oh, yay, I'm glad to be homeschooling another day. Mm -hmm. And that's, I just had this discussion with my daughter the other day too, is that um, like we still have three kids at home. Um, now they're going to university and finishing up high school and one is working obviously at home, but we're, we're in the house, but we're not together. We're not engaged together except for certain points of time in the day. Like, we have an afternoon tea together for 10 minutes and then we go off and do our own thing. And same when the kids were little, you'd have little spurts of concentration time. Maybe they want to cuddle up and read a book and then they toddle off and do something on their own. Right. And so um, dinner time, we all come together, but after dinner, we spread apart in the house, in the yard, in the park. So we're not on each other's laps all day and I think that myth is out there that we're all together and that would drive me crazy thing the other thing too is society especially around um June gives out this message that how are you going to entertain your kids all summer right <gasps> you got to keep them entertained and I I so dislike that because we don't keep our kids entertained I think the the first thing I tell new home education parents is don't even think you're going to entertain your kids, nor do you have to. Um, you're not in job of occupying their time. That's their job. And if they're bored, you can suggest things to do. I usually suggest chores. And then they quickly find something to keep them busy. <laughs> I do insist they clean up before they make the next mess but we have to get away from that thinking that uh, and society needs to be educated that we do not entertain our kids all day they mm -hmm. get very good at it if we hand it over to them I, I stopped doing the um you're bored here's a chore I started getting really philosophical with my kids about well let's chat about boredom and how valuable it is that we have an opportunity to get bored and find something else to do and as soon as they hear me start going that direction they're like okay so I'm gonna go do something <laughs> but I'm with you the boredom thing we don't need to be afraid of that in fact um I don't know what you saw during the pandemic but I I well the pandemic is still happening but the crisis 
point, it seemed that when people got bored, they got really industrious. And I just thought, this is brilliant. You're seeing full grown adults get really industrious when they're bored. It's such a, a testimony to unschooling. That is so true, right? When, when minds are idle and um, when they don't, it, when people have downtime that they don't have to do things, um, that's where creativity comes out. Some of my best ideas come when I'm in the shower because I'm not bombarded by media and I just have a few minutes to think and wow, that's when creativity hits or when you're on the treadmill or you're out for a walk. You think of things you never think of when you're busy doing things that you're engaged in. So it's great. And kids are the same way. And that's the problem nowadays with kids in school is that they're engaged for six hours in school they're engaged in after school activities they come home have dinner and do homework where's the downtime mm -hmm. where's a time that they can percolate everything their sensory has taken in for the day and just be and normally that's through play and yet that play time has been decreasing every year it decreases and that contributes to really um, poor mental health outcomes for for children because they don't have that amount of downtime you know, I was interviewed time. in the last few weeks by CBC radio and they the interviewer asked me but there is a critique about homeschooling that teenagers need to be with other teenagers because they have they get lonely and they don't have solitude or they don't want that solitude they want to go be active with their friends and and the word solitude comes in my mind when I hear that, that actually I think that's exactly opposite of what teenagers need is more interaction and more peers. They actually need solitude and time to think by themselves. Our society thinks about it very differently than what I think mm -hmm. about it. And I think they do. They need solitude too. And solitude doesn't mean scrolling through a screen and reading social media messages that could be damaging or anxiety prone. Solitude is just being or going for a walk in nature and thinking. That's what solitude is. And absolutely, I think teens too, um, they don't need to be with peers. <laughs> the need is to connect with other human beings. And if peers are nurturing, that's good. The siblings fill that role too, as well as parents. So many home-educated children in the teen years are very close to their parents. And that's great. That solitude that you talk about, that took me years to figure out for myself as the homeschool mom. Because I had this notion, I, I was one of those people that grew up assuming I was going to be a mom, I wanted to be a mom. So I mentally planned for being a mom. And my identity was then turned up in a whole different level as homeschool mom, because now I take over responsibility for every aspect of my child's world. And for probably the first five years, I thought like that until I think I burned out is what accurately mm -hmm. happened. And I listened to a Brene Brown YouTube video. And I, I don't even remember what it was she said. It doesn't directly translate her discussion on shame and vulnerability. But somehow I knew that I wasn't being fully me. And I wasn't actually an identity outside of mom. And everything flipped. My script 
flipped when I realized that I needed to develop who I am, not just me as homeschool mom. It was, um, mm-hmm. it was eye-opening, I think. Yes. And I think we all have scripts. Like I, <laughs> I've had this discussion with my kids too, because um, whenever adults meet, they say, oh, what's your occupation? And then whenever adults meet kids, they say, oh, how's school going? <laughs> or what are you doing for school? What are you going to be when you grow up? And yet, um, we, I like to say to people, what do you do for fun? Because I think that is what, um, uh, different from your roles, your occupation, what do you do for fun? And that helps me to understand that person as a person. So one of the things I do for fun, which I really love to do, is I love to go to the movies and I love wine. <laughs> so <laughs> my me time tends to be, I'm in a movie club and we combine it with wine too. And I'm also in a, a wine tasting committee group, which um, are two things I absolutely love that fills who I am now. So um, when people... So as your kids get older, you don't, you talk less and less about your kids, although some people start talking about their grandkids, but I like to talk about what to do for fun. Cause I think it gives you a good insight into people. Very interesting. I, you know, Bonnie Landry was telling me that she has a homeschooling moms with wine Facebook page and it grew to zero zero to eight hundred moms overnight. <laughs> I think there's a really <laughs> special niche there. <laughs> a great idea I gotta join that (laughs) I agree I was talking to one of my kids yesterday that well I won't tell everybody this but we kind of have like a makeshift homeschool sommelier course so I have one kid that is really good at smelling um the tasting notes of different wine (laughs) I won't tell you what her age is but (laughs) there's there is a I think a market here somewhere I'm with you movies and wine I'm all about movies and wine. I wish we could do the movie theater, but I actually think the pandemic has been useful for um, um, outdoor movie theaters. That's been really fun to see come back. Yes. Yes, for sure. What would you say your kids have taught you about self-care over the years? Just having five kids has, I, I suppose if I had two kids, I could probably be (laughs) stretch myself a bit more but having five kids your house gets dirty really fast (laughs) Um, and they eat a lot (laughs) so just keeping food in the house cooking and keeping the house somewhat organized has been a huge challenge and it's taught me that it's not a job of one person alone it's a job of a team so um I I talk to moms of two kids and they're still doing their kids laundry and their kids are 19. And I think, well, I guess if I only had two kids, I might be doing that. But having so many has taught me spread the load. Definitely. Yeah. I I don't think I would be doing laundry if they, if I had two kids either, (laughs) I don't love it that much. (laughs) Right. So at present, what would you say is self-care challenges that you have and how are you approaching it? Hmm. I think right now I don't really have any self-care challenges. Um, I'm in a good space right now where my kids are mostly independent. 
Um, although two aren't driving yet, that's, um, we're working on it, but pretty well, I can do anything right now at this time of my life. I can walk out of the house and go do something. I can, um, go away. I travel. Um, that's probably one challenge is that my, my husband just retired and we travel a lot because we have kids in different countries and cities. Um, but I still have a child who's doing high school, so <laughs> may need a bit of support. So I'm trying to balance those two things. But overall, I think I'm in a good space. I'm in between, I have grown up children, but I don't have grandchildren yet. So I have a lot of time. Fun. So things that we have to look forward to, I'd say. <laughs> yeah. What advice would you tell someone right now just starting out as a homeschooler? I would say just don't forget your passions. Um, don't forget you as a person. First and foremost, you are a person before your roles, um, before your work. Um, I like to use the the rocks in the jar analogy where you put those rocks in first and the biggest rock is you put that in absolutely first and in your, your family and then everything else can fit in the jar after that. So, and in regards to homeschooling, I just want to say that kids are going to learn whether you teach them or not. <laughs> They're um, going to learn everything they need to go on to post-secondaries and if the more you back off, and I tell this to parents who have kids in school and are worried about homework, I said, the more you let go of their work and the more you hand ownership of their studies to them, the faster um, you will get calmer and the more they'll be better equipped to take on that responsibility. Mm -hmm. Well said. Thank you. I really enjoyed our chat today. I've got so many things that I want to ask you. I'm thinking we need to do this again sometime. I, sure. I've written down a bunch of different things and I'm kind of madly thinking, which direction should I go next? Because you've got so much to share. But tell me, uh, when we're wrapping up our interview, I have three questions that I want to ask you. You don't have to, they're not really deep questions. They're just intended for fun. What would you mm -hmm. say is an identity that you have that's outside your homeschool mom identity? I think the identity is I'm a, uh, I'm a keynote speaker, so I put a lot of work into that. Um, I love doing it. It terrifies me, but I love challenging myself to, to do a really interactive keynote. So that's kind of my identity outside of homeschooling mom. I don't really talk about homeschooling when I um, speak. <laughs> unless it's a homeschooling crowd of course but <laughs> I speak to health care organizations and actually I speak to schools teachers conferences so I don't really mention homeschooling what would you say that you're normally doing on a Friday night Friday night I go for a bike ride and then I come home get a glass of wine and watch a movie Amen, girlfriend. <laughs> What's the last movie that you've watched that you really enjoyed? Oh, gosh, last movie. I think it was Little Women. I really... Yes, I agree. I, so good. Yeah, I really enjoyed that movie. And now I'm... I'm uh, My daughter, I want to watch it with her because she hasn't seen it. And she's so busy. Um, so I'm waiting on her to find time. 
That was an excellent movie. That's hard to recreate Little Women and make it as good as some of the past ones, but they did really well. It's really good. And it's really good with a nice red Merlot. Merlot. Okay. I'm more of a cab stove <laughs> gal, but <laughs> come on over. We'll, we'll share wine tips. I actually think that we have to tap into this homeschool mom wine market. <laughs> <laughs> I think we do. The editor to my book said, hey, I don't think everybody drinks coffee and wine as homeschool moms. And I'm like, Sure they do. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they do. Okay, maybe everybody doesn't, but fine, then you can all drink your, drink your gin and tonics. <laughs> what would you say your favorite fun self-care strategy is? One fun thing is what I like to do is I like to stay in my pajamas till at least noon. The days I have to get up and get dressed and get out the door are not days I like, so I I like to, and I, and I feel good about that, and I'm apologizing to nobody. Thank you so much for joining me today. I absolutely have to tell people, you must go get this book, Parenting with Patience. This is a book that you need, turning frustration into connection with three easy steps. Okay, I'm reading it. I'm expecting <laughs> overnight success here. <laughs> or you can just come parent my kids. That'll work too. <laughs> Thanks for no joining worries. me. Thank you for having me, Teresa. I really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you for joining me today. I would love to hear more about who you are, so come on over to my Facebook or Instagram page, Capturing the Charmed Life. My goal is to equip you with strategies to help you turn your challenges into your charms. If you want to learn more about my course, How to Homeschool 101, or my upcoming book, Homeschool Mama Self-Care, Thrive, Not Just Survive, head over to www.capturingthecharmlife.com. You'll also find the show notes and links to everything you've heard in this episode. I hope you and your kids have a charmed week. And until next time, I hope you can turn your challenges into your charms.